It's the day the Lord's made. We're going to do what? And be glad. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to be glad today. Let's stand to our feet. In Psalm 150, we're encouraged to praise the Lord. It says, praise the Lord and praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. <laughs> we'll get to... We'll get, <laughs> Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of a trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. That's why the walls came down, because they shouted, right? Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything... That has, breath. that has breath. See if your neighbor's breathing. So this is a command to all of us, right? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise one more time. is great. Amen. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. You are more than enough. You can do far above what we can think or ask. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Whatever you're facing today, nothing is too hard for our God. He can rectify. Amen. Let's give him praise one more time. He's worthy. Children's church is dismissed and we also have a nursery next door if you have a baby. Uh, two things I hate. I hate a dry, going nowhere sermon. Second thing I hate is I hate to be responsible for a dry, going nowhere sermon. <laughs> uh, but I want to share some stuff with you this morning. If you're here today and you've experienced disappointment, uh, then you're in the right spot. Uh, there's too long to tell you how the Lord brought me to this place this morning, but uh, if you've ever experienced some disappointment, if, you're, if you've not experienced disappointment, then you must be under the age of 18 months years old. <laughs> We've all experienced some disappointment in our lives. So I'm going to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. I'm just going to read those, and then I'll take you some places in your Bible. But in 1 Samuel... Uh, let me just say welcome everybody that's watching us around the world. Let's give them a welcome this morning. We, uh, we're in 40-some countries that we know of in 46 states. We're trying to figure out what's wrong with the other four states. Is there anybody saved up there? <laughs> David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him.
And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. What a congregation. That's a lot of times how God builds his church, right? He builds his church with people who are in the junkyard. They need repaired. Jesus said those that are well don't need a physician. But we need a physician, amen? His name is Jesus. And he said everyone who is in distress, here's the three D's. Preachers love these kind of sermons. They can get three D's out of here. Distressed, in debt, and was discontented. They all showed up for David. Now, how do you think David's feeling at the moment? He's already in trouble with Saul and all the things. You know, he's had a lot of stuff going on. And uh, he's got everybody in society that's down and out. All these people, no doubt, were disappointed. In debt, discontented, and distressed. I want to tell you something. You're not going to escape this life without experiencing some disappointment. Some of them, as we get on down through life, they're not going to seem as severe because they're not really as important at the, as we thought they were at the moment. I thought a great disappointment, well, and it was a disappointment at the time, but looking on the whole scheme of things, my basketball team got beat in the finals of the region to get to go and play at Rupp Arena in three overtimes we got beat. I was so disappointed. I didn't even get out of bed the next day till 2 o'clock. As long as I'd slept my life. But I was just hurting, disappointed, hurt for everybody, all the time and effort you put in it. But as you grow older and you get down through life, you realize there's a lot more important things than a ball game. We've all had disappointment. My wife and I lost a child between our two oldest. That's disappointing. And then 17 months ago, most of you know, we lost a little girl that my oldest son, his wife Tori, had for too long to lose. Disappointed. That's probably the hardest one. We didn't get to hold the one, obviously, my wife, but this one you hold and nourish for 18 months, and obviously Jared and Tori faced that harder than we did. There's disappointment that we're all going to face. So how do you get out of disappointment? If you don't look to God, you won't come out of it. I'm just going to be as plain as I can. If you don't look to God for all your disappointment, you won't come out of it. You'll try to fill that void with other things in the world, and the world's passing away. And so the only way to truly get out of disappointment and overcome it is look to God. To learn some things along the way. To understand that God is in charge. So let's go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let me share a few things with you. 1 Samuel chapter 30. So he's got all these boys. Now if you read about David's mighty men, they turned into some powerful men. They won, they killed hundreds at a time, some of them did. One defended the lentil patch, and the Bible said he slew hundreds of men, and, and the, the sword claved to his hand because he refused to let go. They had to pry it from his hand. So these men may have started out distressed, discontented, and in debt, but God made something great out of many of them. David's mighty men, the Bible calls them. So we're over here in chapter 30, and there's another scenario going on with David. And it came to pass that when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had invaded the south and Zikla, uh, 
south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag, burned it to, with fire, had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire with their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. You're talking about disappointing. These guys were, had their camp in Ziklag. David had uh, been given this by someone. And he comes home, finds everything gone, including his children, everything. Now this word uh, Ziklag, uh, if you go to a uh, shallow meaning, it means winding or bending. You know, that's something that's got a lot of curves in it. I use this phrase a lot uh, that, what are you going to do when the devil throws a curveball? You've got to stay in the batter's box and keep swinging, don't we? Um, the other thing about this word, though, it's deeper, is its, it's root brings to pressed, to be pressed. And the reference is to smelt copper. Now, there are three, word, three ways the word smelt used in, in uh, America. One, there's a group of fish up in the New England area that they call them smelt or smelts. The other ones here in Kentucky, I smelt it. That's the. <laughs> they, we borrowed that from West Virginia. <laughs> uh, you've heard that. Come on now. I smelt it. I clam it, right? Instead of climbed. Uh, but those are not the definitions for this word. It means to uh, get something from a rock. By heating it like a precious metal to smelt it from a high temperature. Also, they do that with metal. They smelt it to compress it. But it has to have really high heat. If you go over to the prophet, he's talking about uh, smelting gold, basically. And every time the gold is heated, the impurities rise to the top. And so the goldsmith's design is to take the impurities off and look and see his reflection in the gold. That's what God's doing in our lives. And we don't always like it, and sometimes it's disappointing. And this would a little bit go back to last week, that we don't like to use block logic, right? We like to use the Western style of linear logic, which means I, this has happened, so I should expect that, right? And I, it's, this is really in me right now, so you're going to hear me reference this a lot probably. But that widow woman was using linear logic instead of block logic. And so when the prophet showed up in Kings, he said, I'm hungry. He said, she said, well, this is the deal. We got enough meal for me and my son to eat, and then we're going to die. So she had thought through all that, right? She had spent time thinking about that. She watched the, bar the barrel of meal start getting lower and lower. And so she just thought the natural process, this is we're going to have our last supper, no pun intended, and then we're going to die. They're living in famine. So here comes the preacher by, and he's either arrogant or he's given her the chance of a lifetime, and that is to have faith. So he says to her, he says, go make me something first. So she's got a decision to make. 
And then he gives her a word. I didn't mention this last week. He gave her that word. He said, your barrel of meal's not going to run dry and God's going to take care of it. But she had to step out on that word, right? What if she'd went back and decided not to give him something to eat? And I'm sure, you know, that's how the devil works on all. None of us are above being harassed by Satan. So she's probably walking back to wherever the barrel of meal's at, thinking, "Mm, should I do this? And she's probably going through all that in her mind. And finally, when she gets back there, maybe she's just said, well, I'll let him have my food and I'll feed my son and whatever. All those battles she fought. But when she got done, she did bring him something to eat. And so she hung her body on that word that he gave her. Now, that's what we're all called to do. Faith is what you've received from God in your spirit. You know it's God's word that your mind has come in agreement with. That's why you have a body, a soul. The soulless realm is your mind, will, and emotions. And then you you hang your life on that. That's what the people of God did in the Scripture. I mean, you don't tell a guy when it's never rained before to go outside and... uh, build a boat big as a football field and all these animals are just going to show up and walk right in. I mean, you don't buy into that unless you know in whom you've believed. But there's the, there's the point, right? There's the point. We, we feel it in our spirit. We know it's God talking. We reconcile that in our mind. We say, yeah, that's His Word. We're in agreement with that. But then taking that step to hang our body on that. And that's how faith works in our lives. And so, what are you going to do with disappointment? Well, the devil gets in a lot of people's lives with disappointment. He, he rips their lives apart when they get disappointed. And I can't tell you that I didn't, uh, our family didn't go through the throes of that. I mean, I pushed the boundaries. I went after God. Hard. I knew where to stop. I know who's in charge. I don't, but I, I mean, I pushed those boundaries. I went to the throne boldly. And so when you get in a disappointing situation, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to cling that much tighter to God, or you're going to push Him away. When you watch these people in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they have disappointment in their life. They do one of two things. They either cling tighter to God because they realize how much more they need Him, or they start pushing Him away because they get upset. Now what the devil wants to do, When you and I go through some season of disappointment, he wants to turn us against God. He wants us to find fault with God. But you've got to understand, every one of us are going to live in ziklag. Every single one of us. We're going to have some moments where we're disappointed, where we can't logically think through things. We can't piece it together. Now, I guarantee you that widow woman was going through the same thing. Noah went through the same thing. On and on and on. Abraham, Abraham, all of these people that we read about in the Bible. I mean, even Peter, right? In Luke chapter 5, they've been fishing all night. I mean, they knew how to fish. They had a whole business doing it. Jesus comes by and says, uh, I want to borrow your boat and use the boat, all that stuff. And then he says, uh, launch out in the deep and catch a, a great drought of fish. And, And Peter first stepped up in the natural, right? He started thinking logically first, right? He said, "Uh, we've been out there all night. I know what he was thinking. He probably wasn't brave enough to say it. And I wouldn't be either because I think there's Jesus, there's God in the flesh. I'm not saying this, but I'm thinking it. I know how to fish. (laughs) Now, that's not true of me in the the natural, right? I'm like a subpar fisherman. I mean, it's like... It's like Christmas when I drag a nice bass in. 
Most of the time, they're bluegills. And most of the time, it's a bluegill and just his lips because I jerked so hard, I jerked his lips off. <laughs> but I love to fish. So you think what I was going through Peter's mind is like, ah, we've been out there all night. We know how to fish. We turned the fish finder on. He didn't see one thing. And then he, here's what Jesus, Peter catches himself though, right? That's what we have to do. He didn't run that whole thing out, right? Like I just did for you a little bit. He stopped and he said, but nevertheless, at your word. Now, that's where we're all called to live. And you know that I have uh, used this for many, many years. The Greek word for faith in the New Testament or believing is all undergirded with pisteo. Pisteo is a verb. Verbs do what? They show action. So I'm going to say this as loud as I can. Faith is not sitting on your couch with a mental recognition of something. Faith is getting up off your couch and moving into that. That's faith. And so pisteo is a verb, and verbs do what? They show action. Take you back to English class so you can smelt it, right? And then pisteo undergirds all faith and all believing in the New Testament. We have two words in the Hebrew do the same thing in the Old Testament. Hasan batak, they're verbs. They mean they, ha- they show action. So Peter did what? He took Jesus at his word and he acted on it. He didn't just sit there and say, ah, I'll have to go back tomorrow. I'm kind of tired, you know. All of us can have excuses. God may ask you to get up in the morning at 3 in the morning and go pray somewhere in your house. You may wrestle through that or you may not. You may just flip over and go back to sleep. But we're all challenged with those moments where the Lord speaks to us comes to us, invites us into a moment with him, just like the prophet did this widow. He was God's man. He was in God's stead. He came by. He gave her the chance of a lifetime, and she took it. Now, she was fighting. We all fight. We all battle. But her whole life was disappointment. Can you imagine living in a famine, and you're down to your last meal, and the next thing you think is a funeral for you and your son? That's disappointment. And all of us face disappointment. David's facing disappointment here. He comes back and finds that everything's gone. His family, everything. Now David, the Bible says, was greatly distressed. In verse 6. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved and every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself. You cannot overcome disappointment without coming to God. That, and David understood that. And David was a man who failed. He, he had all the same experiences we've all had. He failed God. He missed the mark. He'd done things on his own. But one thing that, that illustrates David's life is David always kept coming back and checking with God. And he was a true repenter, unlike the generation we live in now. When David saw that he was wrong in something, he actually turned and went the other way. That's what repentance means. It don't mean to just come somewhere and get some of the agony off of you and go right back to what you're doing. Repentance means to turn and go a different direction. And so David was wonderful at that. When he got confronted with God, he would do that. And then David was distressed. The people were ready to stone him. Because everybody was grieved, 
every man for his, uh, for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. You know, you're going to be in the moment. Mom, Dad, and maybe just one of you. It's better if you can do it together. But you're going to be in a moment where you're going to have to stand and be strong when all those around you are not. That's going to be your moment. Maybe you're a Christian on a place where there's not very many Christians at, jo- at the job. Your moment's going to be to be strong when everybody around you may be freaking out. That's our call. Now, why? Because we know the attributes of God. Number one, let's remind ourselves of some of those. Number one, He cannot lie. So let me rehearse some things to you. He said He'd never leave you nor forsake you. He cannot lie. He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but He shall deliver them out of them all. He cannot lie. How will he not, if he, not spared only, he didn't spare His only Son, how will He not freely give us all things that pertain to life and godliness? He cannot lie. See, all these promises are undergirded by the fact that God cannot lie. Somebody ought to give Him praise for that. So all the promises in Christ, the Bible says, are yes and amen. Now why would He come back to that? Because the resurrection sealed the deal. Christ is risen, therefore your hope has no question marks in it. The Greek word elpizo, elpisis, that I use from time to time, is the word we translate hope, and we use hope in the English language with a question mark, right? We hope it don't get too hot. We hope it don't rain. We hope this. We hope that. We don't have any control whether that can happen or not, or we can make it, but we hope, right, with a question mark. But in this case, it's hope without a question mark because of who it's in. It's in Christ, the risen Savior. And the Bible says all the promises of God in Him are yes and amen. Now, I don't care how long you've been waiting on a promise. Your life's just a vapor. You keep hanging in there. Listen, I had some dreams from God about four or five years ago, and I'm still waiting for some of those to come past. And I'm hanging my body on them because they, I knew they were from God. And I'm hanging my life on those things. I'm going to live by faith. That's what all these people did. That's what this, this widow woman is no different than you and I. In fact, she's probably in a worse jam than any of us have been in. What about Job? Job woke up in 24 hours. He faced more disappointment in 24 hours than all of us put together in our lifetimes. We couldn't pile all of our trouble up right here in the middle of this building every one of us in our lifetimes, that would equal what Job went through in less than 24 hours. He lost everything. He lost all ten of his children. His wife turned against him, and his friends were telling him that he was in the wrong. His wife, when she needed him, told him to curse God and die. Everything went haywire for him. You're talking about waking up disappointed. Lost all of his livelihood. He was taking care of so many people, and now he had nothing. He went through such a season of disappointment that would have stripped most Christians to the bone. Then he's out there scraping his sores. It's the oldest book in the Bible. Do you know that? It's the oldest book pinned down in the Bible, Job. And he, he went through all of that as a testimony to us. He was 
in a way, a sacrificial person for the rest of us. There is a part that should go on in our lives, and we get, we're spoiled here in America, so we don't see this all the time. But sometimes you have to look back at others and say, you know what, I, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm not going to get mad at God. I'm going to look at these people, these great cloud of witnesses that we have in front of us that Paul talks about in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to look back and remind myself that other people have had it just as hard as I have or harder, and they got themselves up, pulled their bootstraps up, and moved on for the cause of God. Now, why can we do that? Because we know God's for us. He's for, if, he's for, if God's allowing something in our lives, there's a reason and a purpose for that. There's a reason for that. He's working on eternal creatures, and He's making us stronger. And we're living in perilous times, like we talked about Wednesday, and dangerous times, times when we're confronted and to be thrust away. That's what the world wants to do with us. We're going to need to be strong. And you know at the end of Job how God was merciful to him, restored everything, double, and then restored him ten more children, which made him have double children because his other children were waiting on him on the other side. So he didn't, somebody said, well, I didn't give him 20 more children. Number one, he didn't want 20 more. No, I'm just kidding. Because he didn't lose those other ten, right? He never lost them, right? He's, they're just waiting on the other side. He sacrificed before God for them. Everybody has been disappointed at some point in their life. Every one of us. You face some hardship and trouble. David is there in Ziklag and they're all being pressed. And instead of looking to God, they're mad at David. Now you're going to have to realize that sometimes. Just like uh, sometimes you're going to get blamed for stuff because people are upset and grieved. But you still got to stand your ground. He encouraged himself. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Now let's go to Psalm 42. I'm going to read you from a couple of Psalms today, just a few uh, things, and then I'll take you to the New Testament before I quit. But in Psalms, Psalm, in, uh, Psalm 42, these Psalms I'm going to read to you are, probably were fashioned after this occasion or occasions altogether like this, and this is what's come out of those times. Look at Psalm 42. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now this is a guy who needs help. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? See, if you keep your eyes on your disappointment, you won't be able to make sense out of it. Now I don't know how God dealt with the rest of my family, but how He dealt with me when He brought me out of this last round of this horrible disappointment we went through is he corrected me, put me down for a few days, straightened me out, and then he said, took me to the Exodus and reminded me of Moses. How that he took Moses away from his family for a season, but he was training him. <laughs> See, now if you think logically, linear, you won't do it. Ain't no way my son's going to get raised in them Egyptian schools. Ain't no way. Right? You can't put God in your logic. you got to take Him day to day. Forget about tomorrow. You don't own tomorrow. Block logic says, what have you said to me today? That's what I'm walking out. I'm walking that out today. And God took Moses and sent, this is going to be hard on folks, sent him to the world to get trained. 
See, it's not your logical thinking that gets you where you need to go. It's your trust in God that gets us where we need to go. It's hard. I know it's hard to watch people go through things that you love and to be in situations. But how many times have you come back, even in your own life, and said, you know what? That was rough. I'm disappointed. All the stuff I went through. But when it come back, you thought, man, I see what you're up to now, Lord. I see what you're up to. God is able to do far above what we can think or ask. Then He says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come, appear before my God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Now that's a guy who's in trouble. He's in distress. He said, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. Now this is like probably what David's experiencing at this very moment in Ziklag. Everybody's mad at him. They all cried. In one passage, other said they cried till they couldn't cry anymore. They were so distressed. And these guys, what do you think these guys that were with him were doing? The devil was giving them flashbacks. Yeah, you never really got out of it, did you? You distressed, in debt, discontented to this day. And then he says, I went with them to the house of God, the voice of joy and praise, the multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me, hoping God? For I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. It's God we need to be in touch with. The Bible says, let your request be made known unto God. You can talk about it with your friends if you want to, but that's not really the key. The key is to let our request be made known to God. Go to Him. Enter that throne room boldly. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mazar, deep. And this has been butchered and misrepresented, but he's in, a, he's in trouble. And he's talking about being on the seashore. Deep calls unto deep the noise of your waterfalls. All the waves and billows have gone over me. So he's like a guy who's standing on the seashore, and before he can get dried off and cleared off, the wave rushes out and calls another. This is not talking about the deep things of God. He's talking about the distress he's under. And we've wrote songs and everything that's butchered this verse. But this is talking about a guy who's under distress and the waves just keep hitting him. Have you ever been there? You ever been there where you just couldn't get dried off and you felt, man, one back? That's where Job was at. Job could, before, the Bible said before one guy could get through speaking, somebody else came through the door to give more bad news. And it's like being at the seashore and one wave hitting you. And before you can get your bearings about you, the wave rushes back out, calls to another deep wave, and here it comes. Bam, bam, bam. You ever watch the storm on, on, uh, when they have these hurricanes? What do they do? They just keep badgering, badgering, and badgering a wall or a dock or a boat or whatever. Because the deep runs out and calls. I don't know if you ever remember the tsunami they had a few years ago that wiped out countless people. The, they... they I guess if you've never been around one, when the water just runs away and the, the beach gets, instead of 30 yards deep, it's 300 yards deep. The water's gone, but it was going to call. It was calling for the deep. And then the wave that came in was catastrophic. And that's how all of us feel. Maybe you feel like your moment was a tsunami. I guarantee you Job felt that way. And the badger, and it just keeps coming in. It says, Deep calls on deep the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and the night His song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. 
I will say to God, my rock, you have forgotten me. See, it's not a guy that's having a big time. It's a guy that's in trouble. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I mourning, go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me uh, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? I'm sure David had been telling them about God. Now here's all these guys say, where's our families? I thought God was on our side, right? You've got to know that's, that's how it works, right? All of us have faced that probably to some degree. You know, I don't trust your God. I don't believe in your God. And so they're all, and then he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hoping God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of the countenance, my countenance and my God. So that's probably some, he may have prayed those very words that we read about in Ziklag. Because the Bible said he strengthened himself, and that's, that's what's happening here. He says, the psalmist says, Why are you cast down? And why are you disquieted? So whatever David wrote or he instructed his other guys to write, they experienced those things. That's why I tell people a lot of times, if you're going through a season of disappointment, discouragement, discontent, get in the book of Psalms. See, and what you're going to find out with David, when his early life, he talked a lot about his trouble and a little bit about God. If you find his early Psalms, he talks a lot about his trouble and a little bit about God. But as he grows older and sees God move and sees his hand, you read his latter psalms and they talk a little bit about his trouble and a whole lot about his God. That's the secret to overcoming disappointment. Let's go to Psalm 18 because this is, this is probably came out of the same type of situation, if not the very same situation that they're in now. And Psalm, uh, I'm going to read just a few verses. I'm going to skip around here just for a moment. He says, in verse 1, he says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Now, this could have been after the fact. Maybe he prayed this while he was encouraging himself because he's reminding himself of who God is. He says, The Lord is rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My shield. You see what he's saying here? The horn of my salvation. My, he's everything I need. And that's why he's extolling him this way. My shield, the horn, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. So as we talked about for a couple of weeks about how important it is for you to praise. And not just in the house of God, not just in the church, but at home. Because praise is what gets God to come into your moment. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. So when we praise him, and, and when you're feeling bad, that's probably the time you don't want to praise but that's when we need to praise the most. When you're at your lowest moment, when you're feeling bad, things are going wrong, you're disappointed, because that's when we need God, right? We need Him in our moment. So it's contrary to the flesh. The flesh only wants to give accolades and praise when it feels good, right? And that's why Job stands out as an emblem of hope for all of us. The, the flesh is, I'm not feeling good. In fact... I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it in my back turn. Some people didn't come to church today because they just wasn't feeling good. Well, that's probably when they need to be there the most. To give Him praise. I'm not talking about somebody that's legitimately sick. I'm talking about somebody that just had the blahs. Well, if you got the blahs, you need to give the praise. You, you're going to sit home and, and watch, uh, as one of my nieces said, Okra Winfrey and get encouraged? 
I'm glad there are people in my life that can give me words of exhortation and some tharseo. But ain't nobody but God that can do everything. And so we, if you're in the blah moment, that's when you need to praise. And that's contrary to the natural man. But God does a lot of things that are paradox to us, right? He said, if you want to live, you must. If you want to receive, you must. You, on and on, there's so many paradoxes. And God said, if you want my presence in your moment, praise me. Yeah, but I feel horrible. Well, praise Him anyway. That's what David did. David was excellent at that. Even in his worst hours, and this is not the only time, there's several examples of David being in bad moments and him reaching out and praising God and checking with God and encouraging himself in the Lord. And that's what we've got to do. Don't Thank God for your brothers and sisters, but have a relationship with God where you can go and He can encourage you. Because they're not going to be there sometimes. And, and the devil will talk you up. But when I, I mean, God encouraged me so much this morning when I went to prayer. Because I'd had a bad couple of days with my knee and the devil was hanging out at my house this week. Y'all probably had a break because he's at my house this week. And just, I was just needing my father to say, let's go get it done, son. Amen. I love you all, but I love God more. I need Him to speak into my life. I know we've all got good things to say to each other, and we're commanded to do that. We're to exhort one another. But I still need God to speak into my life. You need it too. And so if when you're in the worst moment, that's when you need to praise Him. Thank Him. Give Him your love. Then he says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliveries, all these things. Then he says in verse 4, the pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of the ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol or the grave surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me in my distress. I called upon the Lord. He was distressed, but he still called on God. Now what the devil wants you to do is get mad at God, get frustrated at God, start questioning God. Your God can't do any wrong. He cannot tell a lie. He can't be tempted with sin. Neither does He tempt any man. I mean, these are promises. These are truths about your God. He holds the whole world in the palm of His hands. He's sovereign. That means He exists internally. When we say God is sovereign, it means God exists internally. It means He needs nothing outside of Himself to exist. He's the only one that can be said about. We depend on Him for everything. Oxygen, everything. Food, water. He, he exists internally. That's why He's God. He's sovereign. So that means nothing you're going through, He's not watching. Nothing, if we'll cooperate, there's nothing we're going through. I feel this, Lord, help me to get it out right. There's nothing we're going through that He's not using in our lives. Even the bad stuff. He comes in. That's what Romans says. All things work together for good of those who call. The, the, the Greek says it this way. God enters into all things. He don't cause messes. That's not God. He don't, he don't, he don't make stupid decisions like we do. Right, But the Bible said He's willing to come into our stupid decisions and bring good out of it. we got a great God. So when we're in distress, that's when we need to be crying out the most. It's when we need to be calling on the Lord. He's doing that. He said, the, the pains of death come around, the sorrows. Then I called on the Lord and cried out, and He heard my voice. And from His temple, and, crying, and my cry came before Him, even to His ears. What a good word. Look at verse 28 in this same chapter. For you will light my lamp. Woo, I like that. 
The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he shall deliver us out of them all. So you hang on. Don't give up. The world's quitters. We're not quitters. I tell people all the time, you're never disqualified unless you quit. We, we see all kinds of people here who had miserable failures. The Bible says in Proverbs that a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up all seven times. Don't you quit. We're not looking for anybody to be perfect. We look for him and we found him. His name's Jesus. Nobody else is going to be perfect. But what I am asking from you and charging you with, don't you quit. Don't you back down. Don't you turn back. This ain't nowhere to go but up if we follow Jesus Christ. He may let us go through some disappointment. We may have some distress and discouragement in our life, but he's coming up. He's going to show up because he said he would not leave us there. This is confidence. One of the preachers I know in Mexico was sharing this story. They had an earthquake down there back in the early 2000s. And one of the fathers of, they had several, at least two classes of an elementary school buried in the rubble. And one of the guys who was a preacher in Mexico, that was a friend of this preacher I knew, had, uh, had his son in one of those classrooms. So he did what any dad would do. He went to the rubble. And he started trying to find his son. And so a lot of people were there, not just him, but he's digging through the rubble and he keeps calling his son's name. And finally, it's a true story, his son, he hears his response from his son. So he digs a little more and he starts to get to where he can see his son. And his son is like nine or ten years old, I don't remember which. And he, his father said, I'm coming to get you. And his nine or ten year old, this tells you how good a job he's done training his son with the Lord. His nine or ten-year-old said, Dad, get these other children that are scared first because I know you won't leave me here. That's the God we serve. He, He had such confidence. He was buried in the rubble. He'd been there, I don't remember how long, probably hearing all the scream, but when he heard his dad's voice, and then they communicated, he was so confident in his father, he said, Get my classmates out before you get me, because I know you won't leave me here. That's the God we serve. Amen. He says, for you, for, here's what he says. He's, David is not, they're not distressed in this psalm. He says, for you, by you, I can run against a troop. Just you and God are majority, right? For by, for, uh, by my God, I can leap over a wall. Woo! As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. For who is God except the Lord, and who is our rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength, makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. So whatever you need, God will outfit you in that. He will do that for you. He will come. He'll be the very present help in the time of trouble. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. He'll teach you how to war. We're in a war. He says, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Who is that? Jesus. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarge my path under me so my feet did not slip. I want to say something. We know Job wasn't a perfect man, but we don't see too much wrong about him. But one thing that stands out about me with Job, no matter what he went through, his feet did not slip. God enlarged his path. The next time you get feeling sorry for yourself, read the book of Job. One guy said he wouldn't read it because he thought it meant job, and he didn't want to get a job. 
Let's go to verse 46. I'm going to close with this verse in this chapter. I'm taking the New Testament before I quit. The Lord lives. Do you believe that? Blessed be my rock. Now, when you read these Psalms, and David does a lot of them, he talks, he makes God personal. He's not making him exclusive. He's not saying he's my rock, no one else's. But he he's understands relationship. That's why he said he's not just a God out there somewhere. He's my God. He's my rock. He's my deliverer. He's my savior. He's my healer. He's my way maker. He's my brother. And we, I don't say that to be exclusive either, but that's how I feel. When my dad walked into my office early this morning and talked to me, I was so excited that he showed up. I needed to encourage. I needed him to strengthen me. And then he says, he says, let God, the God of my salvation be exalted. That's what we need to do. Even in the hard times, we need to exalt him. Go to Romans chapter 8, and then I'm going to close. In Romans chapter 8, he talks about his goodness toward us. And how He's on our side. Even in our disappointment or our distress, He is there. That's where we need to turn. Turn to Him. Turn to Him. Turn to Him. I read the Bible every day not because I don't know it. I read it because I need that fresh food and that injection of knowing, reminding myself of who God is. He's bigger. Solomon said He's higher than the highest. He's greater than the greatest. He's everything. I know I can go certain places in this culture and maybe get some things I need and done. But I know if I go to God, I can get everything I need from Him. Every single thing. And He won't withhold those things from us. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, we trust in His attributes. We know who He is. Just like that boy told his father, said, Get my classmates first. I know you won't leave me here. What then shall we say to these things in verse 31 of Romans 8? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now you're going to face opposition. It doesn't say you're not going to have opposition. It just means it's futile. The devil's already lost. Do you understand that? He's already been defeated. He, he's left here to harass and finish his time. But he has no power over the believer. Except what we give Him. Or what God may allow Him to do. So we have the power through Christ. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't mean you won't face opposition. It means it's futile. Because God won't leave us without His help. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us? Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for everything you're praying about. Whatever's important to you is important to Him. And He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation say it? I'm going to try that again. Don't you say it loud. I'm going to make the devil mad. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? No. Sword? No. Nothing. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. He's on your side. And if you're going through some disappointment, He's working that out for our greater good. He will bring it. And if you caused it, 
It still doesn't matter. He said he would enter into it and bring good out of it. If you'll look to him, but that's where the devil steps in, right? When we get in some trouble, especially if we've caused our own trouble, we start backing away. The devil starts talking us down, saying, you don't deserve to talk to God. You didn't deserve to talk to God before you had your trouble. <laughs> We're all, our, all our righteousness is filthy rags. There's none good, no, not one. You don't deserve nothing God gives you. I don't either. But he loved us enough, sent his son, so that we could have life and have it more abundantly on this side and the other side. I, I don't think my children could imagine coming to me and saying, listen, I've done something really bad and stupid, and I know you're going to disown me. And so I can't imagine any of them feeling that way. And God don't want us to feel that way either. What do you think the prodigal was thinking on his way home? Man, he gave me all my cash. I blew it all. I don't have nothing. He's going to be so mad. I left on the four-wheeler. I pawned it on the way back home. You can think all that's going through the prodigal's head. In Luke chapter 15, he's like, ah, I dread this, but I know that's where I need to be, right? Remember when you was little and you told a lie and you knew you needed to correct it? And it was only like 10 steps to get to your mom or your dad, but it looked like 150 steps to get over there. And we got over there laryngitis and everything. Couldn't get it. <laughs> Think about what he's thinking. Oh, he, my dad's going to be so disappointed in me. And his dad leaps off the porch, runs to meet him. He said, hey, now he came back home, right? He came in humility. We all need to come in humility. He said, hey, I'm not worthy to be called your son any longer. I'll just be a servant. He got the message, right? He, he, got, he, he had to be broke down, but God took him through a lot of trouble, allowed him to go through it in disappointment, and it broke him. Now he came back with such a beautiful attitude. And his dad wouldn't have none of that, right? He wouldn't have none of that. That's your dad. He gave us a picture of our father with that. So whatever you've done, just run to him. He will, he, will, he will call out to us. He, he, he is everything we need. Paul goes on to say, We are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things. Now, I don't care what you faced. I don't care if it's bad, so bad you don't even want to talk about it. Whatever you faced. And I don't care if you've done it to yourself. The Bible says He will enter into all things to bring good. David, God didn't make David do everything he did. David did that on his own. And he did that because of what Timothy says. Timothy said, if we stay engaged in the warfare, we won't get entangled with the things of the world again. If we stay engaged. David should have been out in the battle. He sent all his men out. He stayed behind. He should have been at war with his men. He wasn't engaged. But even in the midst of all that, God entered into that and brought Solomon out of it. He brought good out of it. So you got a God that's on your side. He's rooting for you. He's not, God's not trying to keep people out of heaven. He's trying to get them in. He's rooting for us. He's on our side. So when you have trouble, you, you run to Him. Even if you caused it, run to Him. He's there for us. And finally He says, All these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. 
That's a promise. Let's stand our feet. God's on your side. He is on your side. His plan is to mold you and make you. Now, if you're going to get gold more pure, if you're going to get it more useful, then you are going to get heated up some. I am going to get heated up. We're all going to get heated up. And whatever you're disappointed about, know that God cares and He's working something for our good. You cannot overcome disappointment by another thing in the world. Another relationship, another high, whatever. If you want to overcome disappointment, you need to look to God, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's bow our heads. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want to invite you to come and surrender your life to Him. As we get ready to open this altar up and worship just a moment here. Maybe you're here and you're so disappointed about things in your life or something that's going on. Listen, your God sees all that. And He's bigger than all that. And He's got a plan. Maybe you're that person saying, man, I've dug my own ditch. I'm just down here wallering in it. I know somebody will get you out of that ditch. You don't have to perform. You don't have to get better. All you have to do is just cry out. He won't quench it. You feel like you're standing at an ocean today and one wave after another just keeps slamming you. Well, I know the one who walks on the water. And He's available to you. So as we worship Him this morning, this altar's open. Will you come? Whatever your need is.